following audio is from St Nick's Durham. As a church, we exist to love God, love people and love Durham. We hope that this sermon will serve you well as a supplement to your regular Bible reading, prayer and participation in your local church. For more information about St Nick's Durham, directions or resources, please visit stnicks.org.uk. Good morning. Our first reading this morning uh, is from 2 Samuel uh, chapter 5, verses 1 through 5, and also verses 9 to 10. All the tribes of Israel came to David at Hebron and said, We are your own flesh and blood. In the past, while Saul was king over us, you were the one who led Israel on their military campaigns. And the Lord said to you, You shall shepherd my people Israel, and you shall become their ruler. When all the elders of Israel had come to King David at Hebron, the king made a covenant with them at Hebron before the Lord, and they anointed David king over Israel. David was 30 years old when he became king, and he reigned for 40 years. In Hebron he reigned over Judah for seven years and six months. And in Jerusalem, he reigned over all Israel and Judah for 33 years. David then took up residence in the fortress and called it the City of David. He pulled up the area around it from the terraces inwards, and he became more and more powerful, because the Lord God Almighty was with him. And our second reading is from Mark chapter 6. And we're reading verses 1 through 16. 1 to 13. Jesus left there and went to his hometown, accompanied by his disciples. When the Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were amazed. Where did this man get these things? they asked. What's this wisdom that has been given him? What are these remarkable miracles he is performing? Isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this Mary's son and the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon? Aren't his sisters here with us? Then they took offense at him. Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his own town, among his relatives, and in his own home. He could not do any miracles there, except lay his hands on a few people who were ill and heal them. He was amazed at their lack of faith. Then Jesus went around teaching from village to village, calling the twelve to him. He began to send them out two by two and gave them authority over impure spirits. These were his instructions. Take nothing for the journey except a staff. No bread, no bag, no money in your belts. Wear sandals, but not an extra shirt. Whenever you enter a house, stay there until you leave that town. And if any place will not welcome you or listen to you, leave that place and shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. They went out and preached that people should repent. They drove out many demons and anointed with oil many people who were ill ill, and healed them. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good morning. Let us pray. Lord God, give us open eyes and open ears 
open hearts and open minds to receive from your word today. Amen. Two readings, one from 2 Samuel and one from the Gospel of Mark. Two kings, King David and King Jesus. Two stories about how they built their kingdom and there the similarities more or less end. Which may give us pause for thought as we look at this story of Jesus working his way around his homeland and proceeding in a disorderly fashion towards his own unique kind of enthronement as the king of God's kingdom. This Jesus, great King David's greater son, does in many ways fulfill the hopes and dreams of his people to be the king in the line of David that they had longed for. But today, in Mark's gospel, events are unfolding in the strangest and most unexpected of ways. So welcome, people of God, to another episode of Who Do You Think You Are? And today we are exploring the family background of Jesus of Nazareth. Previously in Mark's Gospel, as we have been looking at it in recent weeks, Jesus has been traveling around, casting out demons, healing the sick, even raising the dead, and also way back at the beginning of chapter 3, entering the synagogue and teaching and healing, and it's all been going pretty well so far, albeit not without various controversies and confrontations. And now Jesus arrives in his hometown and heads once more into the synagogue to resume his impressive ministry. And it doesn't work. The people who listened to him were amazed. Other translations suggest astonished or astounded. It certainly doesn't seem to be amazed in a good way as the passage unfolds. All the locals pile in with their questions. Where do you get all this from? What is this so-called wisdom? Doing great miracles, is he? Well, we know who this is. It's the carpenter. The word suggests small-scale building expertise. He would put you up a shelf, but not take on the whole house extension. And this relatively unimpressive profession caused some consternation in the early church, leading to some versions of our passage actually saying that he was the son of a carpenter, to try, perhaps, to make it sound a bit less dismissive of Jesus' own qualifications. But anyway... Even more than all this slightly critical response, the locals pile in with, this is Mary's son. We know his family. James, Joseph, all that crowd. And you can almost hear them saying, it's that rowdy lot who lived down the road. We never trusted them. And you can perhaps hear them not saying, 
what would have also been on many people's minds at the time, that Jesus' proper job should have been to earn some money, look after his mother, and not get ideas above his station. Who do you think you are, indeed? Who does he think he is? Verse 3, and they took offense at him. Well, of course, churches today never criticize the preacher. I'd just like to make sure that we're all agreed on that before I go on, okay? Are we, are we all on the same page here? Good. But Jesus replies, the prophet is not without honor except in his hometown. He also adds that a prophet's relatives and his own household in particular are never impressed. Nice to have my family with me here today. Which is indeed worth reflecting on. Can you imagine the Christmas family letter? Well, it's, yeah, Fred got a job in an office in the city. Sally started college. John took to calling himself the Baptist and went and lived out in the desert, calling people to repentance. We're so proud of all of them in their very different ways. Jesus' ministry is cut short in his hometown because everyone knows who he is and they are not impressed that he thinks he has power, wisdom, and authority to explain the ways of God to people who have known him for years. Let me add a personal note here. This is the second time I've ever been asked to preach on this passage. What might I conclude from being given it in my first week in my new full-time role as prior of the community of St. Cuthbert here at St. Nick's? Are those of you sat on your sofas at home thinking, who does he think he is? Isn't this Richard? the husband of Melody. We've known him for years as a local lecturer at the university. We've never understood a word he was talking about. You see where I'm going with this. The first time I preached on this passage was almost exactly 30 years ago. I don't usually have uh, this kind of memory for detail. I have preached many sermons that I have forgotten and in many contexts that I don't remember the details of. But this one sticks in my mind because at the time, I had just spent two years abroad in mission work in French-speaking Belgium, part of a church planting project that had been a real joy even if no actual churches were planted. More modestly, we did see some lives changed and much good was done. And I had accepted a job working as a kind of assistant minister at the church in my actual hometown, which was and is in suburban London. So back I came from my ministry in Belgium, 
fresh from my exciting work in that far off and foreign place to take on my new job. And on my first Sunday back home, I entered the synagogue, sorry, I entered the church building and I preached on Mark chapter 6. A prophet is not without honor except in his hometown. Well, I was much younger then. And in many ways, I have no doubt that it wasn't the wisest of sermons ever preached, and no record of it remains, which is a mercy. But it really did feel like a moment where the basic response to the sermon was, well, who does he think he is coming home and telling us what to do? Because when you've known someone from when they were young and unwise, it is hard to take them fully seriously as a visiting speaker and performer of signs and wonders, which leads on to Mark saying that, amazed at their lack of faith, Jesus was unable to do much while he was there. Though I like the little exception that Mark adds, except lay his hands on a few people who were ill and heal them. That's interesting, isn't it? I wonder if we would think that that was, that's a sign of an unsuccessful ministry. He's only healing a few people. Anyway, Despite all this, I don't actually think that Mark chapter 6 is simply a story about how people never believe the local boy. And that's not just because that would be awkward for me today. I started with all that because of the experience I had. Well, that's always a double-edged sword with reading the Bible, where I think our job is not so much to say, oh, that Bible passage reminds me of this thing in my life, but to kind of flip it around the other way and listen for what unexpected things in the passage are nothing like our lives and ponder how that might be challenging us to live different lives. To be precise, the first issue in Mark 6 is not, I think, that the crowds don't appreciate Jesus because they knew him when he was a local teenager, Rather, they don't appreciate Jesus because they overestimate the significance of his earthly background. This is laid out fully for us in the passage. So yes, we do take the point that he was a fully human member of an Israelite family. But in so doing, they underestimate the ways in which Jesus represents God's agenda, God's mission, God's kingdom in fact, which I can't honestly say was the issue back when I was a zealous young man preaching in my hometown church in a London suburb. So notice carefully, if you're looking at a Bible, it's there in verse 6. Jesus was amazed, not at their annoying over-familiarity with his family background, but at their lack of faith. The saying about honor is one thing, and we can perhaps relate that to other preachers and miracle workers, but the challenge to recognize God at work in Jesus is probably the more significant thing. And what's more, it's then developed in a rather unexpected twist in the next few verses. So where does Mark go with this story? Jesus is not honored, but then out go the 12 disciples, two by two on a kind of mission trip. And it is startlingly, straightforwardly successful, isn't it? 
Demons are driven out. People are anointed and healed. Illness is on the run, like we saw last week with Jesus and the woman who was bleeding and with Jairus' daughter. But this time it's the 12 disciples who are bringing in the kingdom. So I think that while no one would have predicted how it would happen, today's reading does kind of get us to where we might have anticipated as Mark's story of the kingdom of God goes forward step by step. And here's where I think it is interesting to compare this story of God's kingdom, God's kingdom coming, with our Old Testament reading and the story of David's kingdom coming. Did you catch that? In 2 Samuel 5, David is called by the Lord to shepherd the people of Israel. So it is indeed a good thing that's happening in this passage, but it involves all the elders gathering to acclaim David and anoint him. And notice about how he reigned in all for 40 years, that perfect and symbolic number of a long and blessed reign. And then we also heard the voices about David taking up residence in a fortress and effectively building up the city of Jerusalem as a stronghold. And we read he became more and more powerful because the Lord God Almighty was with him. Now that sounds like a good and proper account of a kingdom being set up, a publicly acclaimed leader, a long and settled reign, and some impressive building projects. That we can relate to, the solid march to a position of power. And contrast all of that with Jesus in Mark 6, or indeed throughout Mark's gospel, if not all the gospels. He is shown unappreciated and unable to perform miracles. And then he sends out his little band of 12 in pairs with no provisions, just staff and sandals, basically. And they perform some perhaps unexpectedly successful exorcisms and healings as Jesus fades out of the story for a while. Mark goes on in the next passage to talk about John the Baptist. It's as if Mark is deliberately trying to confound our expectations of what a king building a kingdom should look like and how much more as the gospel unfolds towards Jesus final visit to Jerusalem where he seems to make no effort to become king in any recognizable way and is instead put to death it's the kingdom of God Mark is saying but not as we know it watch out those of us who think We know what God at work is supposed to look like. It is possible, perhaps it's even probable, that when God does God's work, it will surprise us and not look like what we thought it was going to look like. Which takes us back to those crowds so unimpressed with local boy Jesus made good. I wonder if the real problem there, the lack of faith that Mark highlights, was rooted in thinking that they already knew what God's kingdom should look like. And in their opinion, it certainly didn't look like a young local lad who had caused a bit of a stir in the towns and cities around the region. We all need 
regular reminding in our spiritual journey that God does what God wants first and not what we want first. Thankfully, these things are not always intention, but they are here. And if Mark 6 is to be believed, this is hardest to spot when it is closest to home. In other words, it's easy to notice when other people fall into the trap of thinking that they know best. But it's much harder when we do it ourselves. Pause for a moment of somber self-reflection. But I actually, it was a very short moment, wasn't it? But I actually don't want to end on that note because Mark doesn't. Self-examination is a challenge that the passage offers us. But it's worth noting that our passage doesn't end there. And in some ways, today's reading from Mark actually provides two contrasting pictures of how people respond to Jesus. First is that portrait of people thinking they know God's ways better than Jesus does, which does indeed challenge us. But then second comes the portrait of the 12 disciples, characterized thus far in Mark's gospel as slightly uncomprehending, bumbling even, not quite getting what's going on, these 12 disciples go out and do amazing things because their contribution to the story does not involve thinking that they know best, but involves doing exactly what Jesus tells them to do, even when it is, frankly, completely unexpected. What's wrong with having a spare shirt? I did wonder about taking as my entire text for today, verse 9. Wear sandals, but not an extra shirt. Brothers and sisters, I have many points to make on this verse. <laughs> but what's wrong with having a spare shirt? Why are they supposed to carry so little with them, not even taking bread for the journey? Some have wondered if this little list of requirements is deliberately based on ancient codes of simple living and then exaggerates them for effect. So these instructions to the 12 in Mark 6 are not designed as a practical pattern for our own Christian lives, as if we should be heading out of St. Nick's this morning two by two and going house to house wearing sandals. Indeed not. But in one sense, it's a very real pattern for us in its picture of simple reliance on following Jesus' words and playing our part in God's kingdom taking root in our world, unlike any other kingdom before or since. So, two portraits of people responding to Jesus. A challenging picture of people who thought they knew better, and an encouraging one of people who followed wherever his unexpected word led them. The challenge is for us, and so is the encouragement. Sisters and brothers, now as then, the kingdom of God is at hand.
Do we have ears to hear? How shall we respond? Let us pray. Lord, may your word lead us forward to new life today and every day. Amen. Thank you for listening to the St. Nick's Durham podcast. If you would like to hear more sermons and teaching like this, then subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. For more information about St. Nick's, visit our website at stnicks.org.uk.